The following audio has been brought to you by Word of Grace Community Church. For more information about Word of Grace, visit wogcc.com. Last week, we kicked off a brand new series called Altars and Idols, and we're going to continue in that this morning. So whether you're here in the main auditorium or whether you're in the commons or whether you're joining us online, we're just so glad that you're here and we hope that you grow and you take something from the Word today and do more than just listen to it, do more than just agree with it, that you actually take it and apply it in your lives and live it out. Amen, somebody? Well, idols lie, so we will worship them. Remember, that's their only tactic, and that's their only goal. They lie, so we will worship them. They present themselves as the answer to something that they want to make us believe that we have some sort of lack or uh, need in our lives, and the idol presents itself as the answer. The idol says, all you need is more money, then you would be happy. The idol says, all you need is a different uh, husband or different wife, or maybe a different situation, a different job, then you would be happy. Or the idol says, all you need is this sexual relationship, and you would be happy. Or the idol says, all you need is this new car, new house, etc., etc., so on and so forth, because these idols continually lie, and they present themselves as the answer to something that we're missing in lives. And, and, and the reason they do this is so we'll worship them because the enemy knows that we were created to worship. We were created to worship God. We were created to give him everything, to glorify him in our lives and to point other people to Jesus. And as we are created for the glory of God, as we're created to worship God, the enemy wants to bend our heart and begin to orient our heart in a direction that will be self-feeding, that will be self-sufficient. And that's why idols lie. So we will worship them. They'll do anything to try to steal the affections of our heart because they know we will worship someone or something. There's something that will captivate our attention to to the degree that we're going to sacrifice for it. And those things become idols, and they make promises that they have no power to deliver on. Even though they don't audibly speak, the voices of those idols and the influence are very, very loud. And today I want to talk about repairing the altar. So what is an altar? What am I talking about? Maybe some of you grew up in church where you would kneel down at an altar. Simply put, an altar is a place for sacrifice, and sacrifice is worship. Sacrifice is worship because you're willing to give up something, or you're willing to limit or do without something for yourself for the sake of another because they have your heart. And the place of sacrifice is the altar. Now, we're not talking about a physical altar like you would read about in the Old Testament, but rather we're talking about that altar being a decision point. A place where you do business with God. A place where you lay down your life as an offering. A commitment, a sacrifice to God because He alone is worthy of your worship. If you have your Bible this morning, go over to 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18. And as you're turning over to 1 Kings chapter 18, I want to give you just a little bit of history of what what we're going to read here. The people of God, children of Israel... They were at a decision point. They were under the leadership of King Ahab. And the worship of God had been perverted and false gods had been introduced. Idol worship was huge. People were radically devoted to those false gods. Even those who were supposed to be committed to serving God, who had been raised up in the right way, their hearts had been led astray. God raised up a prophet by the name of Elijah 
to confront the acceptance of idol worship and call the people back to repentance. And that's kind of where we're picking up this story here in 1 Kings chapter 18. Let's start reading over in verse 17. 1 Kings 18 and verse 17. Scripture says, When Ahab saw Elijah, remember Ahab was the king and Elijah was the prophet, Ahab said to him, Is it you, O troubler of Israel? Isn't that a good kind of nickname to have? If... Uh, <laughs> If the kingdom is worshiping false gods and here comes the prophet and all of a sudden you get recognized by being called a nickname, the troubler of Israel. Verse 18, and he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have and your father's house because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals or those false gods we were talking about, those idols. Now, therefore, send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel or Carmel, depending on how you were raised, and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Elijah's telling the king, gather everybody up who's been worshiping all these false gods. Get everybody. I mean, go find them all, all these false prophets. We're going to have a showdown on this mountain. And he said, go and get all of them and bring them here. And so Ahab sent to all the people of Israel, verse 20, and gathered all the prophets together on Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Why do you think the people didn't answer him a word? Because they're starting to be stirred and challenged in this moment. Because they know they're being called back to what is right and to what God truly would want them to do. He's saying, you've been wavering between two opinions. You need to make a decision. You want to include God in your worship, but you can't include God in Baal worship. You can't sit here and have it both ways. You can't go chasing after your idols and have this commitment to the one and only God. You can't separate your worship and worship over here and then worship over there. You need to make a decision. It's kind of the same type of confrontation that Joshua had in Joshua chapter 24 with the children of Israel where he said, you can go and do what you want to do. If you want to go back and serve the gods of Egypt, that's your business. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. He's challenging the people to make a decision. He said, you've been wavering and now it's time to make a decision because if the Lord is God, then follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. Verse 22, Elijah said to the people, he said, I, even I, am only left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. That wasn't necessarily true because we see later that Elijah thought that he was the only one left. He thought he was the only one standing for the truth in the middle of all of these people who were doing the wrong thing. Do you ever feel like that? Do you ever feel like maybe you're the only one who is a Christian at work? You're the only one who's choosing not to use foul language, you know, at work. You're the only one who doesn't jump in on the crude jokes. You're the only one maybe who isn't talking about lusting after this, uh, uh, this woman that maybe uh, uh, all the other guys are, are sitting there talking about this one gal or maybe passing around pictures of someone and you're like the only one standing up. Man, that's how Elijah felt because when you're surrounded by sin and the enemy would love to normalize sin and when sin becomes the expectation of what is normal then when someone stands up for something in the middle of that, you feel very alone. But God told Elijah later on in Scripture, he wasn't the only one. There were a few thousand he didn't even know about. So even though you feel alone, trust me, folks, you are not alone. 
Uh, verse 23, let two bulls be given to us and let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it into pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. And you will call upon the name of your God and I will call upon the name of the Lord and the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all of the people said, it's well spoken or we agree. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose for yourself one bull and prepare it first, for you are many, and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And they took the bull that was given to them, and they prepared it, and they called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice. No one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon Elijah mocked them, saying, Oh, cry aloud, for he is God. Either he's musing, or maybe he's relieving himself. Maybe he's on a journey, or maybe, you know, where, where's he at? Maybe he's in the bathroom. Maybe he's on vacation, is what he's saying. And they cried louder and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation, but there was no voice. No one answered, no one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me, and all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench around the altar, as great as would contain two sayas of seed. But he put the wood in order and cut the bull into pieces, laid it on the wood, and he said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but water doesn't really help when you're trying to make a fire. <laughs> he says, take four jars and I want you to just fill. Not only, I want you to pour it all over this wood, pour it all over the sacrifice. Verse 34, and he said, do it a second time. They did it a second time. He said, do it a third time. They did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and it filled the trench also with water. So this is a lot of water. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. And I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord failed and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Folks, what God says matters a lot. What God says matters a lot because in our society today, there's this notion that just because something is accepted by the majority, it means that God must approve. And can I tell you that Elijah was definitely in the minority? Can I tell you that just because something is accepted by the majority of people, that that doesn't mean that God approves? Just because it makes sense in the day and thinking of the time that you live in, just because certain things have become normal in the ebb and flow of life, doesn't mean that God is just rubber stamping it and saying, this is okay by me, even though my word says otherwise. In this story, idol worship was accepted by the majority. Even though the majority today aren't bowing down necessarily to a carved image, they do bow down to other things that our society is trying to normalize that God is not okay with. 
They try to bow down to these altars. They try to bow down to sin that is trying to become normal. Things like homosexuality, cohabitation, pornography, greed, divorce, sexual activity outside of marriage, and even things that get a lot of screen time and make the bestseller lists in some Christian bookstores. It doesn't mean that God approves just because they're popular or just because someone has nice things to say. We have to grow in discernment. We have to grow in discernment in our day and age because it is very much an easy time to just go with the pattern of what is accepted and what's widely stamped as approved and what's normal and what is tried to be, uh, be presented and forced to us as normal. And Elijah felt like he was the only person who hadn't bowed his knee. He felt like he was alone for standing up for what God valued. And sometimes holding fast to your faith in Christ will make you feel isolated. And the enemy wants to try to capitalize on that feeling of isolation. Because the enemy knows that if he can get you to feel like you're the only one, that he can get you to get into a depressive state. He can get you to entertain depression and, 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 and fear. He can get you to maybe just give up your hands and go, you know what, it's not worth it standing up for what is right and standing up for the truth. Even though you're not alone, just like God reminded Elijah when he felt like he was the only one left. Matter of fact, Ahab's wife Jezebel did not like this little scenario that we just read about. She, didn't, she wasn't a big fan. Okay, And she wanted to find Elijah and have him killed, so she hired a bunch of hitmen to go out and, and find Elijah. And, she, and, and Elijah knew this. And so he ran out of fear for his life, and he began to feel isolated and all alone. And God said, you're not alone, Elijah. This isn't about you. This is bigger than you. This is bigger than you. And, and folks, the enemy will use that isolation so much. He'll use it maybe in your struggles. Maybe you're struggling with sin. Maybe you're struggling with some form of idolatry in your life. Something that has just got you bound up and you just want to be free from it. But man, you keep going back to that same idol. You keep going back to that same sin over and over again. And the enemy wants you to feel like you're the only one struggling to the degree that you're struggling. And if he can get you to believe that, he'll begin to make you feel hopeless. And that's what the enemy does with isolation. He wants you to feel hopeless. No one really understands the problems you and your spouse are having because no one has a marriage as bad as you. Look at how happy everyone else is and how miserable you are. And you've got to pace the smile on when you go to church on Sunday. That's the lie the enemy whispers in your ear. But you don't know what's going on behind closed doors and what's going on behind everyone else's smile. We just listen to the words of the enemy to believe we're all alone and therefore we're without hope. Man, nobody's dealing with what we're dealing with. Nobody has the financial troubles we have. Nobody has it this bad at work as I do. Nobody wrestles and struggles with the thoughts I do. If people knew what was going on in my head, they wouldn't even allow me in the doors of the church. And that's the stuff the enemy whispers to get you to quit, to get you to give up. To get you to stop. He lies and he lies and he lies and he lies. And he, he presents isolation as the way out. He, everyone else is just wrong. Everyone else is going to hurt you. Everyone else is against you. Everyone else has it better than you. And if you listen to that lie, then you're going to get discouraged. That's why it's so important to be a part of a church family. That's why it's so important to be a part of a group of believers who, man, they love you in spite of your struggles. They don't sit there and knock you down because maybe you're struggling or maybe you're caught up in something or maybe you're, 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 you're wrestling with something. Instead, they love you. 
They surround you. They encourage you. But they still speak the truth to you because they love you. But they can hold you accountable. They can help you to grow because they're there with you. And you can be real with them. You can be vulnerable with them. You can be transparent with them. Man, I don't know where I would be in life if I just hid I I try to be transparent, man. I try to open my heart, open my life. And let me tell you, there's a lot of criticism that I receive for that. There's a lot of criticism that I get for for, for being transparent with other people because, oh, really? Oh, well, I thought you were a pastor. Oh. Oh, I didn't know you were a person, too. Oh, okay. (laughs) You mean the pastor just shared about how he and his wife had a uh, had an argument, a straight-up fight over braces a couple weeks ago. <laughs> if you missed that one, go back and listen to it. <laughs> the thing is, I, I, I don't do that to embarrass myself or my family. I do that because I want you to know this should be a safe place where we can be real. Amen? Amen. And the only way you're really going to grow is if you can be real with someone doesn't mean you get up here and you tell everybody your, your deepest, darkest secrets and your deepest, darkest challenges. But it does mean that you have other people in your life that can speak into your life, that can walk with you. And that's why we promote things like community groups so much. That's why we promote things like getting involved and connected in church so much. So you can have strong Christian relationships that will help you to grow, that will challenge you, that can walk with you through things because you're not alone. You're not alone, man. You are not alone. Even though it may be popular, we cannot exalt our reasoning and our thinking above God's because His ways are higher than our ways and His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Amen, somebody? In other words, we're not smarter than God. That takes trust, though. It really does. It takes trust. Because we know it's true that we're not smarter than God. We will agree with that statement. And I don't think anyone would be so arrogant as to say they thought they were smarter than God and vocalize that. But we don't have to vocalize that. The way we live oftentimes contradicts that statement that we would so easily agree with. Because we make decisions outside of the will of God. We do it all the time. Those things are sinful. We follow after things. Man, those things are sinful. And so to reorient our heart back to worshiping God instead of worshiping at the altar of a false god, man, we have to do the heart work to repair the altar so we can properly sacrifice and worship and have our affections and our attention and our eyes fixed on Jesus. Zero in here on verse 30. Let's look over in 1 Kings 18, verse 30. Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. And the people came near and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was in ruins. It had been thrown down. Elijah rebuilt the altar of the Lord. The altar was formerly a place of sacrifice, a place of worship, a place to where the people of God would sacrifice and honor the Lord their God. But because their hearts had turned away from God and towards what was popular, what was normal, what the societal pressure would have them to want to be a part of, they tried to do both. They tried to mix Mix the two. They wanted, they wanted God, but they, man, they wanted to be accepted and they wanted to be popular too. So they tried to find this hybrid worship. 
and they tried to find this kind of middle ground where they could like really serve God, but not really serve God because it wasn't really accepted to serve God. It was more of if you serve God and you're okay with all this other stuff too, then you're accepted. And they said, let's do that. And it's the same thing we do today. It's the same thing that we do today. When it comes to the things that we want to try to normalize in our lives, when the enemy wants to come and whisper in your ear and to try to get you to normalize sin, to where he would whisper in your ear to say, oh, everyone looks at pornography. It's not a big deal. What's the big deal if you do? You deserve this anyways. And that lie begins whispering in your ear and you begin to justify and go, you know what? It is kind of normal and it's not really that big of a deal. And that's what we begin to say. We begin to, to, to take down the severity of that type of sin to be able to say, oh, it's okay because everyone's doing it. It's okay because it's so normal. I'm surrounded by it. Everywhere I go, every time I go hang out with my friends, they always want to get drunk. It's not that big of a deal if I just go out and do that too. I mean, we have a designated driver. We got, you know, we got Uber now. It's okay. God doesn't care. When the Bible says these things are sin, and when we try to compromise and we try to normalize it, oh, it's just Wisconsin, we'll drink Wisconsin, Blee, you know what that really means. <laughs> Wisconsin rhymes with responsibility, but it doesn't mean responsible. <laughs> and listen, we try to normalize it, and we try to just act like it's no big deal. It's no big deal if I just gossip. Everyone else at my house was gossiping the other night. I'll just jump in on the fun. Yeah, let's, let's uh, tear some people down. That sounds fun, yeah. I really like putting myself above other people and talking about how much they're struggling and how good I am in contrast. Oh, man, well, it wasn't even about me. And then we say, oh, it, it's true. I'd say it to their face. But we wouldn't. These things become idols. They become idols that lead us to... And, and the idols whispering, going, you'll be accepted if you do this. You'll be accepted if you participate, and you'll be rejected if you don't. You'll be all alone. You'll be isolated. No one will want to hang out with you. You're going to be the weirdo at work. You're going to be the weirdo uh, in your family. You're going to be the weird one around your friends. No, you have to be accepted. And the enemy whispers in your ear, and we go, I don't want to be alone. And then we go, okay, I'll bow down. Knowing that this is not right. Knowing that this is not who God's called us to be. The Bible says that we are to be salt and light. And Jesus said, if the salt loses its saltiness, it's good for nothing. But to just be maybe trampled under your foot, like it's just good for snowy weather in Wisconsin, I guess, at that point. I don't know, just to give us some traction. But it's really lost its, its change agent, its, its preservation agent. It's lost that if it loses its saltiness. And you, Jesus said, you are the salt. Oh, there's, he said that we're to be a city on, on a hill that can't be hidden. That we're the light of the world because of Christ in us. Christ is supposed to make us different. Christ is supposed to make us different and change us, change the way that we value things, change the way we treat other people. We should love other people as to where everyone else would want to get back. And they would say, an eye for an eye. Jesus said, no, if, if, if your brother takes something from you, you know, say, here, you can have this too. If, if someone forces you to go a mile with him, go the second mile by volunteering. That's the value system of heaven. That's different. That's weird, man. Because it's not normal. Because it's not driven by the flesh, but it's driven by the spirit. But you and I 
Jesus said that if we're led by the Spirit of God, we're the sons or the daughters of God. Instead of being sons and daughters of the flesh. But that requires that we're different. And, and Elijah said, we need a difference maker here. We need a change. We need something to turn. And he said, this altar has been neglected. He said, this altar's been neglected. It's been abused. It's, it's been torn down. It's been left alone. Obviously, this was a place where we used to worship God. And now it's just become something that's in the way. And Elijah first, before a sacrifice could be made, before worship could truly be given, he had to go and repair the altar of the Lord because it was in ruins. Before that worship could return. And then look at what happened in contrast to what was popular. There were so many voices and they were crying so loud, so it wasn't about the volume. It wasn't about how crazy and zany they could get. It wasn't about the degree that they were willing to go. It was the fact that they were serving and worshiping false gods because, folks, sometimes we think that just because someone is sincere means that their way is okay, means that their thinking is okay. You can be sincerely wrong. It's, it's not about sincerity because were those prophets of Baal? Were they a bunch of tricksters? Were they a bunch of two-faced liars? No, these people were sincerely worshiping. They were just sincerely worshiping wrong. So it wasn't about the sincerity of their heart. It was about the orientation of their heart. It was about the focus of their heart. It was about the object of their affection and their worship. They were worshiping a lie because they were hoping it could give, it, give them something. And it couldn't deliver. It had no power. But then you see Elijah went and repaired the altar of the Lord. And then challenged the people's thinking by taking it a step further by pouring water once. And they probably went, ooh. And then he said, pour it again, ooh. And pour it a third time, what? There's a trench, look at how much water. And then he prayed a simple prayer. No cutting, no yelling, no screaming, no antics. Just prayed, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, show these people that you are God and turn their hearts back to you today. Are you kidding me? You see what happens when we repair the altar and we return to that place of sacrifice and worship? It begins to not only turn our heart back to the Lord, but it begins to influence and impact and turn others' hearts as well. Because the people bowed down and said, the Lord, truly, he is God. And Elijah said, you've got to make a decision, folks. You've got to make a decision. Who are you going to serve? It's either got to be the Lord is God or Baal is God. You've got to make a choice. Elijah repaired that altar. And repairing the altar is returning our hearts back to truly giving God everything. We need to put priority back on worshiping God and sacrificing our lives for Him. We have to put priority back on that. Because it's so easy to just go along with the flow and to just do what's popular. Do what's, it's easy to do what's popular oftentimes. But we need to give God everything. Romans 12 and 1 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Jesus said in Matthew 6 and 33, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these other things will be given to you as well. Don't go chasing after stuff. What you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. He said, No, don't you know God knows you need these things? 
Don't you know how valuable you are to him? Instead, why don't you seek first his kingdom, his way? Lord, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? In Titus chapter 3, Paul writes to young Titus in Titus 3, verses 3 through 8, what God did in Christ Jesus on the cross was so much more powerful than a sacrifice being consumed by fire. I'm, that's not what Titus 3 says. That's what I had my notes. I meant to turn to Titus 3, my bad. Titus 3 and verse 3, Paul says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of our God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and by the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out to us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. He said, man, there was a way we once walked in before we knew Jesus. There was a way that, man, it was normal to us, is what Paul was saying to Titus. There was a way that it was just acceptable. It was, it was even understandable at a certain level because we were without hope. But because of Jesus, something has changed. When the goodness, when the loving kindness of our Savior appeared, something changed. And now our works have changed, not because that's how we came to Him to try to earn salvation, but rather the works came out of the overflow of the receiving of His love and His mercy. It became a response. It became a lifestyle. It became worship. See, what God did in Jesus Christ on the cross was so much more powerful than a sacrifice being consumed by fire. Even though that's a cool story, man. That is one of the coolest stories I love reading in the Old Testament. Well, what Christ did on the cross was so much more powerful than that altar and those stones and that water being licked up by fire. The sacrifice of Jesus was so much more powerful than that. The sacrifice being consumed caused repentance because the fear of God struck their hearts. They were in awe of God. And there is nothing greater than the cross of Jesus Christ that should keep us in a constant state of awe. And that awe should drive us to seek Him first, seek Him in everything. That's what caused all of those prophets, all of those people, all of those that were in awe that day who were wavering between two opinions. That's what caused them to confess the Lord. He is God in that moment. Why? Because they were in awe of Him. And there is nothing that should make us more in awe of God than what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Because we didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. It's not anything we could have done or conjured up, no matter how good we try. No, we, 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 could, never, we could never do anything even remotely close. And we could never pay him back. It's a gift that he gave freely. It's love that he gave. And that, that sacrifice, man, even when we, when we sing songs, when we receive Holy Communion together, when we hear about someone coming to Christ, when we pray, when we open our Bibles, all these things should stir our hearts and cement our affections 
and our worship and our willingness to sacrifice upon Jesus Christ to seek Him first, not because the Bible tells me so, but because I'm so in awe and I can't help myself. I love the little kid's song, right? Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. And that's a great truth. But I don't want to obey Him just because the Bible tells me so. I want to obey Him because I am just straight up in awe. I am in awe because I realize that I'm undeserving, that I can't, I can't earn this. And I know that he's provided everything that I need. And that if the whole world forsakes me, that I'm still not alone. That if everyone who said they love me abandons me, I know that the one that ultimately matters, who has the say over my eternity, will never leave me or forsake me. And that should bring me so much stinking comfort and joy and peace that regardless of what trial I'm facing, what challenge is in front of my face, what lie the enemy is whispering in my ear, that I can boldly and confidently say that even though I may walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil because my God is with me. He's leading me and guiding me into all truth. The steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. I can know and trust that he is good and that he is for me, not against me. And folks, this world wants to try to turn our hearts to worship another. 1 Corinthians 6 and 19 says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. Should underline that in your Bible. You are not your own. And then write your name. I am not my own. I was bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. You, you see a theme here? So, what are you sacrificing for God? That's the question that I want to leave us with today. What are we sacrificing for God? In other words, what are we placing on the altar? What are we placing on the altar? Does the altar of your heart need to be repaired this morning because of neglect? Maybe it like the altar that we read about in Elijah's day. Maybe that altar, that place of doing business with God, maybe it's been neglected. Maybe you've been listening to the lies of the enemy and you've been caught up in idol worship. I'm not here to condemn you today because that's not what the Lord would have me do because that's not God's MO. But I do believe that the Word and the Spirit can convict you and can bring you to a place of having your eyes open to maybe see that the pathway I've been on, man, I've just been playing church. I've been playing Christianity. I've been, you know, I haven't been taking this seriously. I haven't been sacrificing anything for God. I haven't been living my life daily as a, as, as a sacrifice. I haven't been taking up my cross. And maybe today your heart has been stirred to repair the altar or repair that place where today you need to do business with God. Maybe you need to repair the altar because of neglect. Maybe you need to repair it because of idol worship. Or maybe you need to repair it because it's been too easy to go with what's popular. So God, let your will be done on earth, in our lives as it is in heaven. Perhaps today you need to spend some time doing business with God. 
Maybe returning to that place of awe. Returning to that place where you take him seriously. And maybe you've been faithful. And maybe you have been faithful and you've been sacrificing for the Lord, but maybe you've gotten to a place to where the enemy's been whispering, you're, you're all alone. You're the only one. And maybe today you needed to be reminded to stay the course, to not get weary in well-doing, to not get sidetracked by looking at what everyone else is doing or not doing, by staying faithful, because this is much bigger than you, it's much bigger than me. Our lives here on this earth, and we have the opportunity to influence and impact eternity. That's a big responsibility. That's a big opportunity. And I think that we as the people of God need to take that seriously. So what have you been holding on to that God's wanting you to let go of? What have you been worshiping that's time to leave and return to the heart of God? So I want to ask, what is God requiring you to bring to the altar today? I think we need to do business with God. And I'd like to take the next few minutes, if we could, to just bow our heads and just pray. And maybe if you need to kneel down, if you feel the uh, compelling uh, uh, compulsion to do that, please do, do that. If you feel the need to come up here to the front and to kneel down, you can do that. If, if that's what God's putting on your heart to do, you're free here. No one's judging you. We're not wondering what's going on in your life because everybody needs to be concerned about them and God, not you. <laughs> We need to be handling our own business with the Lord. So whatever it is that God's putting on your heart today, maybe it's something he wants you to write down to do. Maybe God's speaking to your heart right now and maybe illuminating some things in your heart and mind that maybe you need to take care of, that you need to do. Maybe you need to talk to someone about. Maybe you've just needed to repair that altar because it's been neglected and you need to do business with God. Heavenly Father, we just come before you today and we thank you for doing what only you can do. We thank you, God, for stirring our hearts in a real, genuine, authentic, transparent, humble way where we recognize our limitations, where we recognize our faults, where we recognize how our affections have been diverted away from worshiping you and you alone where our hearts have gotten captivated by things, where our priorities have been misaligned. Lord, we repent today. We say, Father, forgive us for those things where we've allowed other, other people or situations or goals to take precedence and priority over you because they're not worthy. They're not more worthy than you. Lord, nothing in our lives is more worthy than you. So, Father, we just want to return to that place today of repairing that altar, of doing business with you. So, God, whatever you would have us do, whatever you would require of us, whatever you may be challenging us with, Lord, we lay it down on the altar and we say, God, we want to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. It's our reasonable act of worship in light of the mercies of God. And we give it to you today because you are worthy, because you are holy, because you're good, and because you're returning our hearts to a place of awe. You're returning our hearts to a place where we are in awe of you because of your great love for us, because of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, 
the greatest miracle of any of our lives is that we could be called children of God. Thank you for choosing us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for calling us. We surrender. We say, Lord, not our will, but yours. In every area of our lives. Help reorient the worship God in our hearts that has taken us away from being focused on you. There have been so many distractions in our lives. And man, there's so many distractions on screens and at work and with schedules and with what we feel like we're supposed to have and maybe even certain dates in our life where these certain things were supposed to happen. And Lord, we'll even worship those certain dates. We'll worship our retirement. We'll worship our, 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 the amount of money we make, the type of home we thought we would be living in, the type of cars we'd be driving, the type of financial situation we'd be in type of marriage situation we'd be in. We worship all those things, Lord, and when we don't achieve them, Lord, we, we feel like we're failing. Lord, I pray you reset our priorities, that you would help us to reset the things in our heart that matter because it truly is you first. It truly is you at the center, Jesus, and nothing else because Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And we thank you for that, Jesus. Do in our hearts what only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Word of Grace. For more sermons or any other information, visit wogcc.com.